And so uh, Sunday I preached and I've gotten multiple messages saying I know a guy or I've got a guy. I got multiple messages of I don't like, I, I'm trying not to go fishing and avoiding, all I keep thinking is I'm on a fishing trip. So uh, we'll see if I can come up with a catchy little phrase tonight for you to remember for the entire week at least. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't think I have one, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe something will pop tonight. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, probably a real familiar spot for you, uh, I would think, in this room. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 10. And we'll go all the way through the end of the chapter. We'll get to my favorite verse in the Bible, verse number 21 of the chapter, but... Uh, verse number 10, we'll start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we, com uh, we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation." Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so here, of course, we have the passage, and, and uh, most, uh, maybe not all, but most are saved in here tonight. Uh, we've already accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior uh, and so we have eternal life, and of course we know that our judgment is not a great white throne judgment. Instead, uh, we appear before, as he says in verse number 10, the judgment seat of Christ, to have the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, and they're judged, of course, when we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and gold, silver, precious stones, and wood, hay, and stubble show up, and uh, the judgment is set, and that's how things go. And ultimately, what he's talking about in the passage is the fact that he's given us in verse number 18 the ministry of reconciliation, and that we are, in verse number 20, ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. Ultimately, uh, our judgment is going to be based on, really, uh, what we do as an ambassador. Uh, it's our ambassadorship, what we've been appointed to and what we're supposed to do. Uh, here in a few weeks, we're going to be getting up to the missions conference, and uh, this thought had just kind of stuck in my mind a little bit, and I got thinking about us being ambassadors, and of course, uh, foreign dignitaries, right? We send them across, and 
They're supposed to, whether they do a very good job or not, uh, they're supposed to represent the issues of the United States of America in a foreign land. That is their job. They're supposed to be a representative of our country uh, on a foreign soil to be able to basically uh, look out for our interests where they are. And as such, you and I have the same responsibilities here in a world that is not our own, uh, where, as the psalmist wrote, we are just a passing through. Uh, and we're here, but we're here on a soil that is not where our home is, at least not our eternal home, and we're supposed to be a good representative. Uh, our goal at the missions conference is to do our best to send some other folks to places where we personally may not ever get to go. Uh, and there to be the ambassador, not just uh, in a foreign land, but also on the face of the earth, just like you and I are here in America, they're supposed to be that around the world. And so I got thinking about our ambassadorship and what we can do personally. I think missions is a worldwide thing. I think it's uh, something we, we should do on a world scale, but also uh, not to forget our own personal role inside of missions, our own personal things that we ought to be doing for missions here right where we are locally. Uh, and so we don't, we don't sacrifice one for the other. We try to attain uh, and get them all and get as far as we can and reach as far as we can. But uh, So what I want to think about tonight is just our ambassadorship. What are we doing uh, with your, what are you doing personally with your ambassadorship even today? So uh, let's see what the passage says. We're pretty much going to stay here. We'll kind of jump around a couple places to cross-reference, but mostly we're going to be right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight. Father, I thank you for the night. I thank you for your goodness and your compassions upon us. The fact that you, uh, Lord, so often we fail to be a very good ambassador, but Father, you are a very faithful and merciful God. And Lord, you love us, and although things are manifest to you, Father, I thank you that you are abundantly merciful to us, and they're renewed every morning we get to try again. So Father, I pray you would help us to see places where we could do a little bit better, and Father, encourage us to continue to do the things we are doing right. And Lord, I pray that you would get the praise, the honor, and the glory this night. Be with our pastor and his wife as they travel home. Keep them safe, Lord, uh, as they uh, come to the end of their journey here soon. We pray that you would just protect them. And Lord, once again, we pray you'd come back soon. In Jesus, our Savior's name, amen. Amen. First thing uh, he says here is, uh, in verse number 11, he says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Uh, there's a threefold motivation that we have here. There's three parts to the motivation that you and I have to be an ambassador, to tell somebody else about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it starts, first of all, that we know the terror of the Lord. Now, the context of that is, I think, twofold. I think you've got two things that go along with the terror of the Lord. Uh, we understand, on one hand, that a lost world without Jesus Christ, is going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. Uh, that's a terror. Uh, that's a terrifying thought. Uh, Brother, Brother Don asked me to do a funeral for a relative of his. He said uh, uh, he doesn't, he goes, I don't know if, I don't know if Vinny knew the, knew the Lord as his Savior. That's a sobering thought. Terrifying thought to think about somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody that you care about and to not know whether or not they'll have eternity in heaven. That's a scary thought. That's something I don't want to be faced with. That's something you don't want to be faced with. Uh, we certainly don't want to be in the place where uh, they're there because we never told them. That'd be a tragedy. That's a scary thought, isn't it? 
Uh, you think he, the context here is, is uh, verse number 10, is the judgment seat of Christ, though. Uh, not only is it a terror that you're going to find somebody that uh, spends eternity in a lake of fire, maybe because you didn't tell them, and now you're going to be judged for the fact that you didn't tell them. You've got two, a twofold purpose. Uh, you want to be clean from the blood of all men. Uh, that way, when you stand in front of a holy God and he judges, he's got nothing to say about what you did. Uh, he can give you for the good. He doesn't have to worry about the bad. Uh, it's the question of whether it be good or bad. Could you imagine just standing in front of him? And the idea of the terror of the Lord is the fact that you are face to face with the one who gave his life for you. And you, he did everything to make sure you could have heaven forever and did it so that a lost world could have heaven forever. And you didn't do anything with it. That's a terror, isn't it? Uh, his eyes are as a flame of fire and he's looking down at you. He makes that eye contact and you feel ashamed. There's a shame that goes along with that. We ought, to be, we ought to be motivated, number one, because there's a terror that goes along with it. The terror of the Lord shows up. Uh, number two, notice what else he says about it. He says in verse number 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Uh, it keeps us in. It, it, it pushes us toward that. It, it binds us. Uh, to constrain something means to hold it in place, ultimately, right? Constrain it, hold it down. Uh, wrap it in. Get it, get it tied down. And what does the love of Christ do? Well, the fact that God would love us that much, it, it binds us in. It, it ties us in to understand that I don't deserve His love, but He loved me. And because He loves me, I should go and tell somebody else that there's somebody that loves them. The love of God is an amazing thing. Uh, we oftentimes, you know, it's kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like the reaction to all the weird things, right? Uh, someone starts talking about the Holy Ghost and people get nervous in Baptist churches, uh, right? They're, they're like, whoa, is this guy a little charismatic right? You turn to Acts chapter 2, everybody's worried, like, what's he going to say? Uh, you know, you go to these, and then you say, well, God is love, and then everybody gets a little nervous. They're like, oh, what kind of, you know, weird. Well, he is, isn't he? Uh, just because just somebody uses that for something that's not true and wants to twist that and make it into something and major on something that's not as major as they want to make it, doesn't mean it's not true. You also shouldn't downplay the love that God had for you. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Uh, that's unbelievable that you and I would have uh, the love of God given to us so that you and I, wow. I didn't do it, I swear. Uh, we, killed, we killed batteries in a half a second. Okay, there you go. Thanks. But first you don't succeed. I looked at the other one, too. I looked at it. It said all, all bars were there, too, when I started, so I don't know. Um, we'll try again. Where was I? The love of Christ. Uh, right in First John, he says, uh, uh, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Right? Uh, it is an amazing thing to think that the God of the universe would go ahead and a pure and a holy God would take somebody as wicked and as sinful as I am and love me enough to make me a son. Uh, that... That harkens you back, right, to David with Mephibosheth, crippled from a fall, and he's, he's going to sit and eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. He doesn't deserve that. 
But David gave it to him. Uh, the king wanted him to sit there and be a part of the family. Uh, and that's amazing what the Lord does for us. Uh, that automatically begets the idea that, you know what? Uh, he lo- we love Him because He first loved us. Notice what He says in verse number 15. And that He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Uh, the contrast is not just that He loves us, but that we love Him. Our love for Him generates the fact that you and I would do anything for Him. Uh, the love of Christ constraineth us. His love for us, but also our love for Him constrains us. Doesn't that keep you from doing certain things in your life? It constrains you. It pulls you in closer to Him because you go, I love Him. I wouldn't do that to Him. There ought to be people in your life that you have that same type of a relationship with, a husband and a wife. They don't do certain things. And maybe the only thing that stopped them was, I love them, it'll hurt them. It might not be, it might not be anything terrible. It might be a little fishing trip. But, uh, you know, but in, in the, the right mind it is, well, I'm not going to do that. It's going to hurt them. They won't like it. And it may not be anything terrible. It's not wicked. It's not sinful. It's not this or that. But you know that taking the time to do that and spending the time with them would, would hurt them. So you don't do it. You cut it back. Uh, the Lord does the same. You know, you're doing that, your relationship with the Lord. The Lord looks around. You know what he says? He, he says, uh, well, I love the church because I gave myself for it. And then he looks at you and he says, do you love the church? I loved them enough to give myself for it. Don't you love the brethren? Well, I love the Bible. Don't you love the Bible? Uh, well, I magnified it above all my name. I did all these things in in the Bible important to you. I love it. Don't you love it? Don't you love the things that the Lord loves? You should. You know, the Lord loved the lost world enough to give His life for it so that they could get the gospel. You know what He loves? He loves to get people the gospel. I'm not going to get into this whole thing. Well, does Jesus love a sinner and love love the sinner and hate the sin and all that's, that, that gets into a little fluffy weirdness, all right? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not all for that. Uh, the truth is, the Lord loved him enough to die for him one day at Calvary. Guaranteed, he loved him that day. And you know what? He loved him enough to give him the gospel over and over and over again. And today, he loved him enough to send you to go tell him. Well, there you go. <laughs> Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There's a price that was paid and He loved the lost world enough to let you know you should tell them about Him. And if you love the Savior, you know what you'll do? You'll go tell somebody about Him. Uh, there's a threefold motivation you have. And that threefold motivation is the terror of the Lord. You're going to stand in front of Him and give an account. <laughs> he loved you enough to die for you and save you for all of eternity. And so you ought to love Him. Enough to be able to tell somebody else about what great things the Lord hath done for you. Not only that, but you've got a twofold mission right here. Uh, you've got a threefold motivation and you've got a twofold mission. Uh, notice verse number 11. First of all, we talked a lot about it, so I won't cover it long. But he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, number one, we persuade men. Well, what do we persuade them of? Well, first of all, we persuade them of salvation. Uh, you ought to be trying to persuade somebody about salvation. Uh, the truth is, some people don't even know they need it. So what do you got to do? You got to persuade them they're a sinner. And then you got to persuade them they need a Savior. And then you got to persuade them that 
Jesus Christ is that Savior. And then he got to persuade him to actually ask him to save him. What are you doing? You're persuading. You're making a good argument. Uh, I think, I think you, ought to, you ought to endeavor and you ought to try and you ought to labor. Notice what he says back there earlier in the chapter that we're laboring in verse number 9. It takes work. It takes work to persuade somebody. It takes work to get them to see that they're a sinner. It takes work to get them to see that they need a Savior. It takes work to get them to see Jesus as the Savior. It takes work to get them to figure out they need to pray and ask Him and that's all they need. That takes work. And Christians have gotten lazy. They don't want to work. They want it easy. Uh, we've been conditioned to make everything, try to get everything as easy as possible. Uh, I, think, I think you and I are in a whole lot of trouble now because we look at a world... And I had uh, uh, Friday, we were in Oswego. I was trying to think of which day we were in Oswego. Friday, we were in Oswego. And George Ann brought a, uh, how old would you say, 16 maybe? Your old teenage girl that came over, something like that. She wasn't 18. She, wasn't, she, she was obviously still in high school. And she comes over with the Bible handout. And George Ann brought her over. And I started talking with her. And uh, I'm talking to her. She, she didn't have any clue. Clarabella was her name. Pray for Clarabella for her salvation, if you think of her. Uh, she had no idea. She had no clue Adam and Eve. She had no clue sin. She had no clue of anything. Uh, I asked her if she'd ever been to church before. She said, no, not really. I mean, I think maybe once or twice somewhere. That's the world we have now. All right? Uh, you, you're not going to win somebody who's never been to church. and Very rarely is it going to be, they've never heard of anything about Jesus. They may have heard his name because somebody uses it as a cuss word, and that's about it. You're going to win them in 15, 20 minutes? Nope. <laughs> they have no foundation of truth anymore. Uh, you know what it's going to take now? It's going to take some persuasion. They've been, they've been pumped full of the idea that they can do no wrong. That truth is relative, that it's your opinion and their opinion, and now if you don't agree with me, I'm canceling you. That your opinion does not matter anymore. The fact that you would have differing opinions and have a discussion, the world doesn't want that anymore. And you look around and you say, what is it going to take? It's going to take some work to persuade some men that they need a Savior and that they need to call upon Jesus Christ alone. So what do you got to do? You got to learn some ways to persuade him. The Lord's statement about it is that he's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants them to come, right? He wants to draw them in. He wants to have them saved. He would that all men would be saved. Well, you and I are the only ones who are here to persuade him. We're all they've got. And if our ambassadorship ends at the fact, well, it's just too hard, they have no hope. Say, well, I tried once and it didn't work. Okay, try something new. Try again. Try something different. Oftentimes we're afraid to try something new and different and try and say it a different way. Uh, we brought different guys. We've heard different preachers all year long. Uh, I said it before after Brother Thren left. I enjoy his preaching, not because he necessarily gives us something absolutely brand new, but he gives it to us from a new angle. He, gives it, he sees things in there that I just I don't see. 
Uh, Brother Netterville came in. He talked about different ways to witness and different things when we were doing the first Bible handout. And he was doing that and he was talking about it, talking about different things. And I listened to him. You know what you get? You get different ways to try and talk to somebody. And maybe a way you wouldn't have thought of if you didn't hear somebody else talk about it. Go ahead, learn from some. Find another way. Go, Pastor, go, Brother James, go, Brother Kevin, go, bro, somebody talk to brother, brother Mike. Brother, people who try to witness, you can, you can learn from them real quick. And just go, hey, have you ever dealt with somebody like this before? And maybe we have and maybe we haven't. I had, I had a pastor friend of mine call me and go, hey, have you dealt with this? And I said, nope, that's all yours. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> that way I can learn from your mistakes because I have never had to deal with that. Praise the Lord. Um, and I said, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? Because I think they may have. And so I gave them somebody else to call. But uh, I said, I haven't, I haven't run across anybody like that before. Weird stuff that you, know, you never see. Say, so what do you do? You hope somebody else has and maybe they, they give you some insight. Uh, but you ought to be able to try and persuade some men of the truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Uh, the second thing about that mission, uh, you ought to be persuading men for salvation, but you ought to be persuading men to serve. Then the Apostle Paul constantly encouraged co-laborers and fellow soldiers and fellow servants to go with him. Then he look around and him and Barnabas started out and then all of a sudden uh, they get some other guys to join them up and then all of a sudden some more. It's amazing to me the list of men you see throughout the New Testament that Paul brought in and, and had with him throughout his trips and the journeys and the people. You say, well, they didn't all pan out. You're right, they didn't. But some did. And some failed at first, and he picked them back up the second time. They send John Mark. <laughs> He's profitable. Shouldn't we be encouraging others to go ahead and stay in the fight and go and win and go, go and fight? You ought to be able to persuade somebody else to go and to do and to help. And be able to say, hey, have you ever done this before? And they said, well, no, no, I've never done Okay, well, why don't you come with me? I'm going to do it, and you can just watch me do it. That's a good way to learn. That's, a good, that's the way I learned electrical. Uh, I learned electrical on the job. <laughs> Show up and figure out how these wires all go in these places so that you don't burn somebody's house to the ground. Amen? Uh, everybody likes it better when you don't burn their house to the ground. Um, that's why you never call your electrical, it's all going to burn electric. That's, uh, it may be true, but uh, you don't want that in their head. Uh, instead, you know what he does? He's constantly encouraging them. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. He's encouraging them, hey, uh, stand up and be a witness and be, be strong in the Lord. Do, do it his way. Uh, he's constantly encouraging them to be a witness and to be a testimony and to go and to tell and to speak. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Pray for me that boldness might be given to me, that I may be able to speak the word with boldness and all the things. He keeps just piling it on, telling them, hey, you know what? Uh, if you're not going to say anything, pray for me to say something. <laughs> and hey, you, but you should say something. And he's constantly, you can see it replete through the scriptures, him just constantly trying to encourage somebody else to give and to go and to speak and to do. He's a constant. You ought to be persuading others to join you as you persuade men. Lastly, there ought to be one singular mindset. You have a threefold motivation, a twofold mission, and a singular mindset. 
Uh, look at verse number 17. He says, uh, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God. Say, what is the singular mindset? Is that we could try and reconcile the world to God? The singular mindset is, how can we reconcile an entire world and get them reconciled and have a relationship with God again? Wasn't that the entire purpose of Christ? His ministry and the life that he had and the death that he provided, the price that was paid and the resurrection to give life for everlasting life. Wasn't that the whole purpose was to restore the fellowship that the first Adam had and lost that the second Adam could restore? Well, shouldn't that be our mindset then? The mindset of, can I reconcile somebody? One by one, can I reconcile somebody back to God? Put them in the place where they can be reconciled and put on the same page and have a relationship again with their Creator. As we all work toward that goal, you know what you'll get? You'll get the goal of missions and your ambassadorship will be good. Looking around and going, how can I restore fellowship between God and man? How can I get them to see they should have it? How can I get them to see that there is a God that wants to be reconciled? Realize God is, uh, our God is the only God in the universe that goes ahead and calls somebody else to the table to be reconciled at a conversation. Isn't it, come let us reason together, Isaiah chapter 1? Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hey, you come to me, we can reason this out, we can fix this. Our God is reasonable. The lost world doesn't have a reasonable God. Their God wants to steal and kill and destroy. I am come that you might have life. He's a reasonable God. He goes, you know what, I want a relationship with you. You know what I'll do? I'll pay the price to make it so you can be uh, in a relationship with me again. And then I'm going to put people there to tell you that you can have a relationship with me and they have one with me already so they can tell you how it works. And you can grow and you can learn and you can get closer to me. In fact, if you draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He goes, hey, look, we can get closer to God. We just have to go God's way. Well, how do I do that? Well, let me reconcile that. Let me bring two opposing parties back together. Isn't that the lost world in God? And isn't that the only ministry truly that he gave us? is the ministry of reconciliation. Our goal is to not only persuade lost men to be reconciled to God, it's also to take saved men who have gotten away from Him and to try and encourage them to get back in fellowship with God. Persuade men to be in the fight and to do it well and to do it right and to try and keep going. And in a few weeks here, we're going to have a missions conference. And you know what we're going to do? 
We're going to try to persuade ourselves to give what God asked us to give and to do what God asked us to do for worldwide missions. But one thing I'll ask is, how are you doing on your ambassadorship here? We have all the motivation we need. We have the mission statement of what we should do. We have a mindset we could have. Because the Lord's the one who has done all. He's done it all. He hath made him to be a sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Are you telling a lost world about it? Are you finding the opportunities to put it in there and to get the mission done and stay in the right mindset? Often we just miss the mindset. We lose the mindset. We don't think about it. If we stay in the right mindset, you know what we'll have? We'll have a great finish. Have a great finish. Father, I thank you for the night. I thank you for your goodness. And thank you that you allow us the opportunity to be an ambassador and Father, have given us the ministry of reconciliation. I do pray you'd help us to do it well and to learn it and to learn better ways and to learn new ways and to try them out and see, Father, what you could do through us because you are an amazing God to us. Father, we pray you would bless the night, keep us safe as we go. We pray once again you'd come back soon, Lord. Take us home, Father. We'd love to hear a trumpet sound tonight before we even get in our driveway. In Jesus' name, amen.